Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. What are the chances? Let me say that again. What are the chances? Pastor, what are you talking about? Have you ever used that before? What are the chances, right? And you go, yeah, yeah, well, well, what is it? Well, basically, it's probably you're wondering how often or in what case would a particular thing happen? You would look at it and go, man, wow, what are the, we sometimes say, what are the odds? But a lot of times we'll go, man, what are the chances? And I started thinking about what are the chances of something happening? And I looked up the definition of chance, and here's what it says. The definition of chance is an accidental or not expected or planned. That's what chance means. It's not, you're basically going, it's, oh, this happened, or it's unexpected, or it's not planned. An example of chance is to unexpectedly encounter an old friend at an airport in a country in which you're traveling or on vacation. Hey, what are the chances you being here? And chance is defined as happening by unexplainable reasons, luck, a risk, or likelihood of something happening. What are the chances? Well, let me, let me illustrate it with this story. I think you'll catch the point. It was these two fellows on the front porch of this little country store in Illinois. A small businessman stood in, with his partner. Business was all gone, and the partner asked, how much longer can we keep this going? And the owner answered, it looks as if our business has just about winked out. Then he continued, you know, I wouldn't mind so much if I could just do what I want to do. I want to study law, he said. I wouldn't mind so much if we could just sell everything we've got, pay our bills, and just enough left over to buy one book. He says, Blackstone's commentary on English law. But I guess I can't. At that moment, a strange-looking wagon come up the road. The driver drove up close to the store porch, then looked at the owner and said, I'm trying to move my family out west, and I'm out of money. I've got a good barrel here that I could sell for 50 cents. The businessman eye, the businessman's eyes went long the wagon and came to the wife looking at him pleadingly, her face thin. She slipped his hand into his pocket and took out, a, according to him, the last 50 cents I had. And he said, I reckon I could use a good barrel. All day long, the barrel sat on the porch of that store. The partner kept chiding the owner about it. Late in the evening, the businessman walked out and looked down into the barrel. He saw something at the bottom, papers that he hadn't noticed there before. His long arm went down into the barrel, and he fumbled around, hitting something solid. He pulled out a book and stood dumbfounded. It was Blackstone's commentary on English law. That businessman, Abraham Lincoln. What are the chances? What are the chances? Okay, now listen, church, I get it, right? You're going, wow, what a great story. I mean, that was like incredible. But sometimes we, by happenstance, or we would call it circumstance, or even by chance, we actually get what we ask for. 
Okay, The man in our illustration was hoping and praying, if you will, for Blackstone's commentary in on English law. That would be Abraham Lincoln. But when it comes to Jesus, he never operates on simple chance. You go, Pastor, explain. Well, in other words, when it comes to Lord and our Savior, what are the chances that Jesus would, dot, 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 in your life? Well, every time we need him, Pastor. Every time we need him. What are the chances? See, when it comes to the book of John, I think we need to make a side note. We need to make a reference. You go, what's that? Here's what we need to understand about the book of John. We need to understand that John the writer is giving us what we call selected pictures. Selected pictures in the life of Jesus. Everybody got that? You could call them snapshots. This is what's going on. This is what's going on. This is what's going on into the life of our Lord. And you go, why is that in Important. Why is that important? Okay, because last week we we were in Cana, and then verse verse one of chapter five says we went to Jerusalem. But we don't know the time length between the end of chapter four and chapter five. But we do need to understand that what that these are just snapshots. John's going. Oh, I need to write this down. This was amazing. Remember what John wrote, guys, in in John chapter twenty one and verse twenty five. He said, "And there are many. There are also many other things that Jesus did." Right. In which, if they were written one by one, I suppose even the world itself could not contain the books that were written in it. He says, man, if I wrote down everything that Jesus did from Cana to Capernaum, we don't know if he went to Capernaum or not. He says, man, there'd be so many books, the world couldn't even contain it. And now, by the way of reminder, remember, but these things were written for what purpose? That we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing that you may have life in his name. So these are pictures, snapshots. Now, that's where we find ourselves this morning. That's where we find ourselves in verses 1 through 9 of chapter 5. You see, the world might look back at chapter 5 and think, what are the chances that Jesus would come into this specific place? But you and I can be rest assured that he is always there, listen, when we need him the most. When we need him the most. If you're taking note, I'm calling this message, what are the chances? For this morning, we learn about a man who had the palsy. Not sure what palsy it is. It could be cerebral palsy. It could be uh, different ones. But we know this. He's been sick. He's been sick for 38 years. And his only hope was to get into a pool faster than anyone else. Isn't that ironic? He can't move very quickly. He's very, very sick. He's been sick for 38 years. He's very, very weak. And his goal was to get into a pool faster than anyone else. You see, for him, that point of contact coupled with his faith could bring healing to this man. He said, if I could just, if I could just get in there. I guess you could say, guys, that he was really helpless. But he wasn't hopeless. You go, how could he not be hopeless? Because he put his hope in, in the stirring of the water. I'll explain a little more as we go on. You see, his faith, well, his faith and trust was in the moving of the water. But what we learn today, guys, and I hope you take home, is that we too, are at times in life, are helpless, but not hopeless. We too feel like we're at the end of our rope. We too feel like we are sick, but we are not hopeless. And our lesson is that our hope is not in an object, but in a person, in the person of Jesus Christ. 
That's the lesson. Our hope is in a person. Now, remember what we talked about last week. It was a very moving scene at Cana. We all felt the weight of the passage in this official. As this official comes, and you guys remember, 16 miles he comes from Capernaum. He finds Jesus at Cana, Cana of Galilee, right? And he's begging Jesus, come back to Capernaum, come back to Capernaum. My, my child is sick. And you guys remember what we talked about, right? We talked about that there's, there's some statistics, and most scholars believe that kids, only 50% lived past the age of five. There was a lot of sick children, and, and it might have been just a child that was very, very young, and he's begging Jesus, come back come back and, 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 and he's going to die, he's going to die. And we picked it up in verse 46 and, and let me just read it to you and we'll make some comments. So Jesus came to Cana in Galilee where he had made water into wine and there was a certain nobleman, an official, whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come to out of Judea to Galilee, he went to him and implored him. That word implored means beg, 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 beg. Don't let him go. Come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus turns around and he says, listen, unless you people, now he's talking to the crowd, see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. Now, we finished up to verse 54, but here's what I want you to note, okay? Here's what I want you to feel. In verses 51 through 54, we're probably seen later by John, okay? You go, why? You got to remember, he's remembering under the power of the Holy Spirit, and he goes, oh yeah, I remember when we went to Capernaum maybe a few days later, a few weeks later, I remember seeing this little boy playing, and I inquired, hey, who's this little boy? Oh, this is the nobleman's son. Oh, he is healed. And so John, as he's writing this, he put verses 51 through 54 so you and I could get the what? Help me, church. The complete picture. Remember, the book of John is a picture of all that Jesus did, and so we're getting a complete picture picture. But here's what I want you to think about. Here's what I want you to grasp, okay? The Bible says that the man believed. The man believed. Now, we've got to understand what that really means or we'll never, or we won't grasp it. You go, how so? Well, there are a lot of things that I believe in. Well, I believe in this or I believe in that or my belief is based on the Bible even tells us in the book of James that what? That demons believe in God and tremble. You go, are the demons saved? No, no, no. Let's, let's break this down. You go, so what happened? Okay? You've got a nobleman whose son who's really, really sick. Okay? Now, you might not have a child who's sick, but maybe you can, you can relate in some way because you realize that that was you at one point and you needed healing. It may not have been physical healing. It may be emotional healing. It may be some sort of, some sort of abandonment. I mean, whatever it might be, mental healing in our life, spiritual healing we can all relate to. And the Bible says that the man believed. Now, here's what I want you to know. If you're taking notes, the word believe that he employs here is made up in three Greek words. Three different Greek words to make this word. Okay? The first one is, is pitho, P-I-T-H-O. It's the primary verb, so we know it's an action word. You go, what does it mean? It means to be convinced. To be convinced. That's the first word. Okay? The man was convinced, but it's also made up of the second word, which is, is, um, P-I-S-T-I-S. Pistis is really what it is, and it means to be persuaded. 
persuaded. So now you have convinced and you have to be persuaded. And the last one is pisteio, and it means to have faith. So three of these words make up the very word that the man says, I believe the word that Jesus spoke. And so you have to be, you have to be convinced, persuaded, and to have faith. And I thought, wow. Listen, listen. Jesus, from 16 miles away, from a dying child, says to the man, go your way, your son lives. And the man becomes convinced of who Jesus was, the Meshach, the Messiah, the Savior, the God. And then he is also persuaded by the words Jesus spoke. Could you imagine? Go your way, your son lives. I am now persuaded, right? I am persuaded on what Jesus said. And lastly, he put feet on faith. You go, what do you mean? Well, the Bible says he went his way. He went his way, meaning he didn't go home. Now, listen, I'm going to be, I'm going to be straight honest with you. My child is sick. Jesus says, go, what do he say? Go your way. Your son lives. I'm going home to make sure because I need something tangible to help my belief. This man didn't. This man says, okay, let's finish what we came here. 60 miles away, we're in Cana. We can get some stuff in Cana. We'll go home tomorrow. Tomorrow. I'm just like, what? What? He put, he put feet on faith. He believed, guys, he believed that when he went home the next day, his son would be well. I'm thinking, how much faith did this man have? And how much more did his faith grow when he got home and he saw his little boy playing in the sandbox? Or, or, or don't you love it when you get home, dads, and your kids come running, Daddy! And they just jump on you. Can you imagine? There he's riding the next day. And Daddy! And he comes and he jumps on him. And he remembers, oh, yes, yes. Now listen, here's what we need to grasp, guys. Our faith is not in the miracle, but in the person of Jesus. You guys tracking with me? You go, why? Because there, are, there were other children that didn't get healed. And yet Jesus is still God. And we have to put our faith in who Jesus is. And I'll explain as we go into our text. You know what struck me this week? The text doesn't say, but I bet Jesus stayed at Cana. And so did his disciples. All the text tells us is that the man went his way and, and then we, we got the rest of the story. He went home the next day and I started thinking about this and I started thinking... You know, the disciples had no clue if this little boy got healed or not. You see, we're, we're thinking in our age. We're thinking in, in modern society. We're thinking, right, via Internet, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever it might be, that we would know instantaneously if this boy got healed or not. They didn't. They didn't. 
And so the disciples heard Jesus say to the man, go your way, your son lives. He leaves, and I'm thinking, what would you do if you were a disciple? You'd be like, that's testing my faith. That's challenging my faith right here. You see, the nobleman, guess what happened to him? The next day, the next day, his faith, help me church, his faith actually became sight because his little boy was healed. His faith actually became sight. You're like, wow, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, the next day, he had tangible evidence in who Jesus was. I don't know about his disciples at that point. What do you mean? Well, think about it, guys. They had to trust and live what Jesus had said was true without any tangible evidence. They had to just believe. And I started thinking, wow, isn't, I mean, I mean, they just had to believe. What, what if it was a week or two or a month later before they got back to the home base of Capernaum, they had to just go, Lord, uh, I don't, I don't want to be weird or anything, but that little boy that you said, is he, is he healed? Whoa, where's your faith? You had no tangible evidence. And you go, well, pastor, what's the point? Okay, I got two points. You ready? Number one, guys, think about the promise that Jesus told us, okay? And you go, what do you mean? Well, remember when he was talking to Thomas, and Thomas was a what? He was a doubter, right? Thomas was always doubting, and he says, man, unless... Unless I stick my fingers, I won't believe. And Jesus allows him to do that. And he looks at Thomas and he says this, Thomas, because you have seen me, he says, you have believed. He said, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. What a great promise. Why? Because, listen, you sometimes don't have very good tangible evidence. Oh, sure, a sunset reveals the glory of God. A sunrise, I mean, we can see God in everything, but sometimes we're going, I need a tangible evidence, and you don't have it. What do you mean? Salvation. Salvation. Think about your salvation, right? That's when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that he has washed your sins away, both past, present, and future. That's ten, it's gone, your faith. And now your hope is when you take your final breath that you're going to be in heaven. That's faith. Do you have any, do you have that in writing? Well, you sort of do. It's in the word of God. But for you, tangible, what do you have that you can say? I'm holding on to this. You just trust the Lord. I have faith. I have faith. Like the men, when does your faith become sight? Tomorrow. You go, what do you mean? Guys, when we take our final breath on earth, your faith will then become sight. Wow, it's real. Jesus, I mean, I mean, listen, let's, let's, let's start as believers Understanding that God's, that, that, that death for the believer, it's a beautiful thing. Now, it's not always when it's cut premature, but as a believer, we go, Lord, I can't wait to transition from here to there. That's the first part. One day, our faith will be sight. Can I get an amen? Okay, you're with me, you're with me. The second point, guys, is really, is really simple. 
Listen, blessed are you who have not seen and still believe. We need to believe the word of God, even though we don't see it. Thomas, guys, was doubting, but now he believes. And I'm thinking, you know what? We are to call, we are called to what? To doubt our doubts. Whenever we start doubting God, we need to doubt those doubts. Guys, I know we've come to a place where we need to really believe his word. And yet I find myself having more faith sometimes in my worries than his word. But if we're going to receive from God, we have to believe in God's word. And we have to put in bondage, if you will, our worries and our doubts. Why? Well, think about it real quick, guys. Think about it. We need to what? We need to be convinced. Are you convinced of who Jesus is? Are you persuaded to stand on his word? And have you put your feet on your, your feet on faith? Moving forward. Moving forward. So now we find Jesus doing, leaving Cana, if you will. We don't know the timeline, but we know he's going back to Jerusalem. So that's where we're going to pick up our story today. We're going to pick up our story in verse 1 of chapter 5. Note with me, it says, after this, now he's talking about whatever was recorded. All we have is chapter 4, so we'll go off chapter 4. After chapter 4, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus and his disciples went up to Jerusalem, but here's what you need to know, okay? Most scholars that I've looked at, I was thinking, what feast did he go to? What feast did he go to? And most scholars don't know what this is. They're just sort of guessing. We know that this feast is sandwiched between somewhere between Passover and the Feast of Booths. Not sure what it really is. And everything I looked up didn't give me like, this is what this feast is. But here's what I do know. What we do know is that Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Okay, look at verse 2. Now, there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which in which in which is called in Hebrew, Bethsaida, having five porches. Now, your attention, please. If you go to Jerusalem today, there is no longer a sheep gate. It's actually called a lion's gate there by the city walls, but the pool is still there. You can see where this pool of Bethsaida is still there. You know, it's, 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 it doesn't look like a pool. It doesn't look like anything you would imagine, but they've excavated it and there's no water in it and you can stand right there and it's just off a little bit where St. Anne's Church is, but you see there and you go, wow. And it's really hard because there's a fence around it and you just can't get the feeling of what John is writing, but you know it's still there. And I started thinking about verse 2. Guys, look at this. It says, now in Jerusalem by the Sheep gate. Now, there once was a sheep gate, and if you recall, in the book of Nehemiah, we learned in Nehemiah that the sheep gate was also a type of salvation. Do you know how they, what they used to do with the sheep? When you would walk into Jerusalem, you would take your little sheep and you would go through the sheep gate, and right after the sheep gate is where the priest would inspect the sheep. They would make sure that there wasn't a blemish or a cut or any defect on the sheep. You go, why is that important? Think about it for a minute. It was the sheep being sacrificed. It was the sheep being what? Inspected, not the person. And I find that so comforting. Why? Because we know that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And when he's not inspecting me, he's... 
He's, he's paid the price for me. And so the sheep gate, you would come in and ah, there we'd go. And it's the sheep gate. And in Nehemiah, it would mean this is where salvation comes in. And I thought, wow, Jesus comes to Jerusalem. He comes by a place called the sheep gate. And it's like salvation is coming. Salvation is coming. Salvation is coming. Yeah. Look at verse 3. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Now, the first thing we need to know in verse 3 is that I love the way that John gives us specific descriptions. How many of you are a good letter writer? You go, I don't know. Sometimes we want to get to the point too quickly, don't we? Hey, there's a bunch of sick people over there. Just don't go there. John's not. He's very descriptive. He's very intelligent. He goes, by the way, over by the sheep gate, you know, by by the, this pool, he says, there's um, well, there's some sick people, and there are some blind people, and there are some lame people, and there was also some paralyzed people. Paralyzed. I looked up each word, and every word here is different. It means there were some that were sick, there were some that were blind, and here's what I find interesting. The word blind actually means physically, mentally, and emotionally. I started thinking, what does emotionally blind mean? What does mentally blind mean? And I started thinking that there they were at this pool, and they just, they just, they weren't just in the right, they were just blind mentally. They just couldn't see anything. They just, I just thought maybe they're sitting there talking to themselves. They're trying to have a dialogue. I mean, I just don't know what's going on. But I'm like, wow. John goes, listen, this guy is physically blind. But look at this guy. He's emotionally blind. He's mentally blind. And he says, look at that. And there's some lame guy there. And he's withered. And and here's this guy. can't even move. And I'm thinking, what a sight that would be. What a sight that would be. I don't know about you, but as a disciple, I'd be like, Jesus, what are we doing here? I mean... This is, this is sad. Now, listen, if you're taking note, this is why expositional teaching is very, very important, okay? Because the Word of God tells us that there are sick people who gather there, but it doesn't indicate why they did so. You go, Pastor, I have a question. Verse 4 tells us why they were there. Verse 4, okay, now listen. I don't want to confuse you, but you need to jot this down, okay? The end of verse 3 and verse 4 were not written in the original text, and so a lot of them are like, hey, so so what happened? Well, this is what we call a fill-in. This is what we call a fill-in. Tradition goes, well, why were they there? And oh, and so they came back later and they filled it in to kind of give us a complete story or a complete picture. You guys tracking with me? But in the original language, it just said, John, John just goes, hey, man, there's a bunch of sick people. And then it jumps. But we have a fill-in, and so we will talk about the fill-in, okay? Now, before we move on, let's feel the weight of what John just told us. You go, what do you mean? There are people lying around this pool, okay? It has five porches, and, 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 and I don't know how close they are to the water, but we know that they're sick. We know that they're lame, and we know that there are some that are paralyzed and can't move. And I wonder if, if the paralyzed people had a buddy system, or they had family waiting with them all day. I don't know. But I think it must have been a disturbing sight. And yet, I can't help to think of our world in a spiritual sense. 
And I think how many of our family and friends, guys, are, are sick. And they're blind. They're lame. And a lot of them are even spiritually paralyzed. Spiritually paralyzed. And you and I will lovingly speak about the grace of God and his everlasting mercy and how Jesus is so compassionate, hoping that they will find that healing that they keep looking for. Tell you about Jesus and it's salvation. So we know that there's a bunch of sick people. Now, verse 4 is a fill-in. Check it out. Verse 4 says, here's what they think was happening. For an angel went down at a certain time into a pool, stirred the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he's had. So they're thinking there's these bunch of people laying by this pool and they would see the water begin to ripple and whoever got in first. I'm just, this is, this is crazy. Because I wonder if you're blind, are you crawling as fast as you can? How do you know the water is moving? If you've been sick for 38 years, how do you, how are you going to get in first? I mean, this is, this is crazy, but there's a lot of people there. And the Bible says, traditionally, this is, this is why you're there. And you go, Pastor, well, I got a question. Why are they there? You ready? It was based upon their faith in God. You go, what do you mean? Guys, a lot of us have faith, but they were, we were needing a point of contact to release that faith. A point of contact. So they thought, okay, I really believe that there is an angel who came and stirred the waters. And if an angel stirred the waters, we know that God is in it. And if I could get in first, that's my point of contact. I believe God would heal me. Listen, it wasn't about healing properties in the water. If it was healing properties in the water, they would all be jumping in swimming. They believed that God did something and they had to get in. But I bet it was a fiasco to see. You never knew. And you'd get up early and you'd tell your friend, Brother Joe, take me to the pool because today I might be healed. And Brother Joe was, okay, come on, man, let's go. I'll come back for you. But, but Joe, what if it stirs? I'm sorry, I've got a job. But listen, if you hear something, do, do your very best to get in the water? Hmm. Hmm. See, but people needed a point of contact. Think about the woman, right? The woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. What did she say? If I could touch the very hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Why? That was to release her faith. She believed, but she goes, I need something. Boom. Who touched me? Jesus, you're crazy. There's people everywhere. No, somebody touched me. I felt the healing going out. This woman needed what? She needed a point of contact. Now that's what's going on. And then now comes our story, okay? Look at verse 5. Now, there was a certain man who had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be made well? Some of your translations might say whole. Do you want to be made well? Now, do you ever feel like sometimes you look at the Word of God and go, wow, Lord, seriously? Let's break it down. Let's break it down. I want you to note the sickness that John employs. He doesn't use sick or lame. or He actually uses a different word. The word is infirmity, and it's different from all the others mentioned. 
You go, what does it mean? Most scholars agree it's some type of palsy, but here's the one thing we do know, that he couldn't move very fast. He's been in that condition 38 years. That's a long time. I want you to understand that. When you've been sick 38 years, there's not a whole lot of strength for you to do what you need to do. 38 years, there he is. And he's got the palsy and he's been sick for 38 years. And all of a sudden, Jesus, notice, it says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had been sick for a long time, he asked him a question. One thing that popped out of the scriptures right there, guys, is that Jesus knows what's going on in your heart already. Jesus knew he'd been in that condition 38 years. But, the th- but it, okay, okay, think about it. Here's what Jesus does. Jesus walks up and, and he's, got his, he's got his guys around him. And listen, there's people everywhere trying to get in the pool. The pool is as still as still can be. He looks at this man and he goes, he probably tells his disciples, that guy's been sick 38 years. Let's talk to him. And if you had tradition and if you grew up in Jerusalem like most of these fellas did around this area, mostly the Galilee, but, but they knew the tradition, they'd be like, Lord, what are you going to do? Are you going to step in and move the water? Are you going to pick him up? Well, wait a minute. You, let's see. We haven't been to Capernaum, so we're not really sure. I've seen water into wine, but this is a whole nother deal, man. This is a whole nother deal. And so look what he says. He says, there was, there was no indication, guys, in verse six, there was no indication that the man knew anything about who Jesus was. You go, what do you mean? He didn't recognize him and go, oh, you're the one they've been talking about. They didn't know, he didn't know he was anyone important. Jesus doesn't, he, he doesn't seek Jesus out. He doesn't ask to be healed, right? He doesn't know who this man... He all, for all he knows, here comes a Jewish man with disciples, and he's like, do you want to be made well? And I'm like, well, I guess we're talking. I guess we're having this dialogue. What's going on here? But here's what I want you to see. The initiative, guys, belongs to Jesus, who chooses the men from the crowd and asks if he wants to be healed. Listen. Christ is always the initiator, and we're always the responder. Christ is always the initiator. Here's my thought. Now, tell me if you're thinking this too. Why would Jesus ask him if he wanted to be made well? I mean, Captain Obvious says, Lord, he's by the pool. Why would, why would Jesus ask him this? Lord, he's, he's, of course he wants to, Lord, Jesus, come here, come here, Jesus, come here, listen, listen, we're by the pool, here's a tradition, of course, I think he wants to be whole, right? Why are you asking him this? And I started to think about this. Why would Jesus ask such a question? We think, of course, that man wants to be made well, Jesus. But let me throw something else in the mix, you Ready? Perhaps he doesn't. What? Guys, if we can be honest in church, I'm not sure everyone wants to be made well. You go, I'm not sure where you're getting at. You see, there's a lot of people who enjoy 
guys being pitied or being dependent on others. And Jesus goes, do you want to be? No, I'm good here, man. I, 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 I've, listen. You see, there's a lot of people who are reluctant to leave their familiar and explore possibilities for a better life. This is how we've always been. And it's difficult to impose healing on a person who's comfortable with the way things are. And oftentimes, church, if we're honest, such a person is likely to sabotage efforts to produce change. You go, what did you just say, Pastor? There's a lot of people, guys, who, who they just thrive on drama. And they like the way they are. And they don't want to change. You know, what do you mean? Many people will come to church and they'll hear the word of God and they'll hear the life-changing message and they'll hear that Jesus can heal you from the inside out, spiritually, emotionally, physically, whatever you need. And they'll walk out of here going, no, I'm cool, I'm the same because I really enjoy. Or or this man's been there 38 years. I I wonder for 38 years he's gotten so used to living a certain lifestyle that maybe he doesn't want to change. Now, that's not the text. I'm just kind of giving you some, some hmm, things to think about. What if he doesn't want to? What if people really don't want to change? And we can go through life, and we know plenty of people that we go, man, that's their MO, man. That's their MO. And these are people, guys, that you offer a job to, and they... They end up quitting in a, in a few weeks. This is, a, this is the person you try to get back on track and you try to you know, get them on the right road and, and they end up going back to the same lifestyle. And, 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 and you'd ask, do you want to be made well? Do you really want to change? Because you've got to understand this is a change. This is a change. This is a change. What, what do you mean? Well, apparently the man lived for 38 years and has lived and eaten and survived. If, if he gets well, he's going to have to get a job. He's going to have to earn his own living. He's going to have to be responsible. Does he really want to change? I love that Jesus gets to the heart of the issue so we can look at our hearts and go, oh, do I really want to get well? Well, well let's, you know, let's, let's see. Does he want to get well? No, note his response in verse 7. The sick man answered him, sir. You guys see that? Why does he use sir? He employs the, the term sir because he doesn't know he's a rabbi or a teacher or the Messiah. He just says, sir, very respectful. Do you want to be made well, sir? I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. He is, and while I'm coming, another steps down before me. He doesn't say yes, does he? He's just going, let me tell you my circumstances. Let me tell you. I've been sick 38 years. Jesus knows that. And sir, I, I'm so slow that when the stirring of the water hits, it's a race to get in and I have nobody to help me. And then when I get close, somebody else gets in. And that would be what? Wouldn't that be just disheartening? Because here's in my mind, here's what I'm thinking. At the, the first one who gets in is healed, but think about all the others who came in. You, you guys know what I'm talking about? It's, it's, let me reference it this way. You ever, you know, when, back in the day, I don't even know if they do it anymore. Remember when you were trying to win something on the radio? 
And they would say, if you are the first caller, dial da 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 da, right? And you're, and what do you have? You have the phone right there and you're like, da 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 da, me, me, me. And you're like hanging up, da 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 da, right? Can you imagine? You're trying to get, you're trying to win tickets to a show and you keep redial, redial, redial. And then when the redial doesn't go through and you're sitting here going, wait, 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 wait. I mean, could you, and, and this is life and death. You, you lose tickets and you're all mad. Oh, hello, you're the fifth caller. And you're just like, oh. Well, I'll wait till the next time. And, and I just think it's a, it's, it's chaos in the pool. And there's all people and he's like, sir, sir, listen. But notice what Jesus tells him. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus looked at him and he says, verse eight, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Sabbath. A lot of information, right? Here's the point, guys. Jesus doesn't allow himself to be put off by the man's failure to answer the question. If Jesus came to you right now and said, do you want to be made well? I don't think we'd start a dialogue. We start a dialogue if we don't know who he is. But if Jesus came, yes, sir, right now, Lord, I'm broken. I've got issues. I'm a mess. Please heal me, Lord. Jesus isn't put off by that, right? Jesus doesn't try to get the man say, do you want to be healed? Can you imagine? Well, that's not what I asked you, sir. Do you want to be healed? Well, listen, the stirring of the water, and we hear the angel. No, that's not what I asked you. Do you want, do you, listen to me, look at me. Do, he doesn't do that. Okay, that's not our Lord. And he doesn't ask the man if he has faith. Everybody catch that. He, well, do you have faith to be healed? Nor does he tell the man, if you would only believe, then God would heal you. Why? Here's what you got to take home with you. Here's what you got to take. Ready? Jesus' word is powerful and affects this healing. He says, take up your bed. Take up your bed, right? Rise. Take up your bed and walk. Well, that's indication that the man was laying on his bed, that, he, that, that basically he almost had to crawl, if anything, to get into the pool. Get up. Get up. And what does the man do? The man takes up his mat and walks. 38 years. What are the chances? What are the chances that Jesus would come by to this pool? What are the chances? Of course, they're always there because Jesus. Now, now listen, here's my thought, okay? The Bible says that Jesus did many other things that were not written. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that Jesus healed a lot more that day. But John wrote this down because now we're going to have we're going to have a problem because he healed on the Sabbath. Now we've got a problem, okay? Because it was the Sabbath day. It was the Sabbath day. Let's close with this. In the life of every believer. We have both passive faith and active faith. You guys with me? Passive faith and active faith. You go, what is passive faith, Pastor? Well, passive faith is when we know that God can do something, but we're not sure if he desires to do it to us. 
Lord, I know you can heal me. I'm just not sure you want to heal me. That's passive. A passive faith for this gentleman would have been really simple. Do you want to be made well? You know, let me tell you about my past, Jesus. I've messed up here. I did this. I did this. I did that. You know, I sinned here. I sinned there. You know, I mean, I know God can heal me. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm real close to the water. But if I can let you on a little secret, Jesus, I think sometimes if I get in the water, even if it's stirred, that it won't work for me. But I've got some hope. That's passive faith. You know God can do it. Active faith, guys. Active faith is this. You ready? Active faith is when we stand upon what God has said without any tangible evidence. God said it. I believe it. Active faith, ready? Is simply believing in who he is no matter the outcome. Active faith is also trusting in God's sovereignty for your life. Pastor, will you, will you explain? The best way I can explain this was two years ago, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so you need to know the history so you can feel the weight of this. Growing up in a home where your mom died of breast cancer when you were 18 months old, and growing up in a home when your sister died of lung cancer when you were 13 years old, for the doctor to tell you that your wife had breast cancer floored me. Floored me. And I immediately went into passive faith. God, I know you can heal her. I know you can heal her. I don't know why you would for me. I mean, you didn't heal my mom. You didn't heal my sister and so many countless others. So that's passive faith. But I had to move from passive to active. You go, what do you mean active? Active was saying, God, I trust you in this situation and I trust your sovereignty and Nathalie is your daughter before she's my wife. And so I'm going to trust you regardless of the outcome. You go, well, Ben, did she get healed? Well, yeah, in more ways than one. You go, what do you mean? Well, if the cancer would have killed her body, he healed her. Took her to heaven. But he did heal the cancer. He did heal the cancer because he loves us, not because of who we are, because of who he is. You go, well, what about, what about all those who don't? There's still healing in that, guys. There's still healing in that. We have to trust who Jesus is, not who we are. We don't trust the miracle. We trust the miracle maker. Here's my, here's my last thought. Do you believe? Let me ask you this. Have you come to a place in your life where you're convinced? Where you're persuaded? And where you put your faith and trust in Jesus? That's, that's the question. Lord, am I convinced? Am I persuaded? Have I, have I put my faith and trust in you? 
Because that belief will bring about change. The nobleman, the Bible says that he believed and his whole house believed. Can we say change? That changed, right? The man here, the the palsy man, it doesn't say anything about belief. It doesn't even say that he thanked the Lord. I wonder what change that brought. Pastor, it changed because now he's, well, remember we talked about that last week. We said, what was the point of healing somebody if they weren't spiritually healed? They, they get to live another 40 or 50 years and still die and be separated from Jesus? Oh, how much better that people get saved You spend eternity whole in the presence of God. Amen. Father, thank you for your word this morning in the trust in, 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 in the truth, God, in your word. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you bless us, even though we haven't seen, and yet we believe. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on CalvaryChapelLubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.